0: All right. Hopefully you came in happy this morning because uh, we're going to talk about God's judgment and wrath and vengeance again. All right. So hopefully your happy meter is way up because probably the first 20 minutes is going to come down a little bit. All right. But by the end, hopefully it goes back up. OK, so um, if you got a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter eight, and nine. Some of you laugh about that, but it's going to be hard. All right. So Revelation eight and nine is where we're going to be. If you are new with us and you're just joining us, we are preaching through the book of Revelation. This is one of those times that I wish we didn't preach through books of the Bible so I could just skip over these two chapters. That would sound great right now. Um, But we're going to preach through it, all right? So in the book of Revelation, some of you may be scared when you've looked at Revelation, like, whoa, what is this about? This is one of those two chapters, all right, that's coming. All right? So... In Revelation, you have the Apostle John, and he's been exiled to this island called Patmos because of his faith in the gospel. As he's been persecuted and exiled away, he gets this vision while he's on this island. And this vision is about things that have happened in the past, things that are happening in the present, and things that are going to happen in the future leading up to Christ's return. And it is meant to go to seven different churches in, the, in Asia And these churches kind of represent all churches for all time. So this is a letter even for us today in 2023 in Cedar Rapids. Now, it's meant to be a blessing and encouragement to these churches. What you're going to start out with today is not going to feel like the greatest encouragement. All right. So, again, just hang on. But it's meant to be an encouragement to these churches because they were discouraged because they were facing intense persecution. Persecution far beyond anything that we've ever faced in our lives. Most likely, if you've lived in America your whole life, they're facing this intense persecution. And because of it, there's this great temptation to either compromise or just say, I quit. I don't want to keep being faithful to Jesus because this is too hard. And it seems like the enemy just keeps winning. The opposition just keeps winning. How many of you have been there before? How many of you would say man I'm kind of there right now. It just feels like the enemy is winning in our culture. Jake referenced it last week but you have like Satan being kind of proclaimed at the Grammy Awards, right? Like how how do I keep living this faithful life when that's what's celebrated in our culture? Are you Man, it feels like the enemy's winning in our government from like anti-biblical policies and like local like school board level to national level like you start getting all this like man this is hard maybe you feel like the enemy's winning even in your own heart and you got things that you just continue to struggle with over and over and over and those idols that you love to worship they just keep coming back in and you can't seem to get over them and it just feels like the opposition is winning I was just talking to a high schooler literally five minutes ago before I walked up here. And just saying that she was on a trip with other uh, peers of hers. And the whole trip, the rest of the group were making perverse jokes about Jesus the whole time. Literally, somebody, a high schooler in our congregation. You go, man, why does it feel like the enemy is winning? Like, how do I stay faithful when that's happening? That's the question we're going to wrestle with. How do we stay faithful? How does this, these local churches hearing this vision for the first time, how do they stay faithful when it seems like the other team is winning? So let's jump right in. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven, for about half an hour. So if you remember last week we talked about the sealed judgments. So there's a scroll that only Jesus could open, right? The lamb could open. In that, there's seven seals on that. Every time a seal was opened off of that scroll, a judgment came out. And they increased in intensity and devastation every single time. And it was rough, right? But in the midst of that, we saw that God is sovereign even in the midst of those judgments. God is sovereign and he's going to see his people through it. So we saw that six of those seals were open last week. So here the seventh one is open and there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then there's this little parentheses that's gonna introduce what we're gonna talk about the rest of the time. It says, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them, all right? So we've just finished up the seven seal judgments. We're about to get into the seven trumpet judgments, but it's gonna finish with the seal here in verses three through five. So these the seven seals are open. There's silence there. Maybe it's because God's listening to the prayers of his people. He's waiting to enact his judgment. It, either one is an okay interpretation there, all right? So, so then you're introduced to the seven angels with the trumpets. Then it says, another angel came and stood there, and he had this golden censer. All right. So maybe if you grew up in a different um, religious tradition, maybe you had a, a priest that would walk through with a censer. All right. You put incense in it and you would burn the incense. That's what's happening here. It's a golden one of those, and it's filled with incense and what else? The prayers of the saints. And an angel's going to take this and going to present it to God. Now, what were the prayers of the saints? We talked about this in the fifth seal last week. I want to remind you of it in Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> when he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar, under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So you've got the people who had been persecuted, persecuted and ultimately martyred for their faith. All right, They cried out with a loud voice. So this is their prayer. O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest it a little, little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed, as they themselves had been. So it's like you've got these martyred saints, and they're crying out, God, when are you going to bring your vengeance upon our enemies? When are you going to do this? And with this incense and with these prayers, this angel presents them to God. And he fills them with them and he throws them down. He fills it with fire and he throws it on earth. And what happens? There's pills of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And it's this picture of a, a final judgment here. But then what we have, number one, is we have God listening to the prayers of his people, which is awesome. We pray daily, maybe, your kingdom come, your will be done. Is this what we pray for, though? God, are you going to bring your kingdom this way? Because that's how he's answering this prayer right now. But if you're one of those churches, and you're struggling, and you're being tempted to compromise because the persecution is so great, and you're crying out to God, please, God, when are you going to pour out your vengeance upon these people? And he goes, I'm going to show you. I'm going to do it. I'm listening to you, and I'm going to do it. So he gives this divine response, and God is sovereign in answering prayers. And here in this instance, he's answering those prayers with judgmental devastation. And that's what we're about to get into. Told you, happy meter better go up because we're getting it's getting real here, all right? So then we're gonna see moving from these seal judgments to trumpet judgments, right. and it's a perspective change. Jake talked about this a little bit last week, and I would agree with Jake on this one, that it feels like what's happening here, and you could land in some different camps, but you're getting different perspectives of the similar judgment, all right? So, pretend, I, I just saw last week that at the Super Bowl, any Chiefs fans in the room, all right? You just won the Super Bowl. You mean be more excited than that, right? All right. Woohoo, there's four of you, all right? But, um, Anyway, at the Super Bowl, there were 97 different camera angles, all right? 97 different cameras, okay? Now, pretend that last week as we were looking at these sealed judgments and seeing how believers are having to go through these judgments and it's hard and it's famine and it leads to death for some, all this, and you're focused, one camera is just focused on our team, like believing team's bench, all right? And you're like, whoa, this is hard. And you're defeated and you're discouraged and it's really difficult. But that's all you see, what you're going to get in these trumpet judgments is a different perspective, a different perspective where the camera is zoomed in on the opposing team that seems to be winning. And what you're going to see, is you can't see it from your bench all the way over there, but what you're going to see is these viewer, it's far worse for them. It is far worse for the unbeliever than it is for the believer. And it was bad for the believer that we're going to have to walk through this, but God's going to sustain it. It's going to, we're going to see a picture this week of the opposing team and how bad it is for the opposing team. All right. So let's go on to verse six. It says, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Now throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, when trumpets are blown, it means that judgment is coming or victory is coming. Judgment or victory is coming. You think back to Jericho right the Israelites are going to take the promised land and they're going to take go into um, Jericho and God gives them this wacky plan right this is how you're going to take over the city you're going to walk around it a bunch of times and then finally you're going to shout and some priests are going to blow some trumpets and that trudge those trumpets are going to say like hey judgment is coming to you Jericho and victory is coming for my people that's what's happening here judgment is coming but it's victory for my people Okay, so let's get into it. Verses seven through 12. Now the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hell and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is wormwood, or that's like a plant that is bitter. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night." So what's happening here? Hell and fire and blood are coming on the earth. A great mountain is thrown into the sea and it becomes blood. A great star that's bitter, affects all the water and most of the water becomes bitter. A third of the sun and moon and stars are struck. This is part of the judgment of God coming upon the earth. And what does it result in? A third of the earth and trees are burned up. All the grass is burned up. So a significant portion of the land creation is burned up. And then a third of the living creatures of the sea die. And a third of the ships are destroyed. So a significant portion of the water creation is done away with. A third of the water has become bitter. Mankind begins to affect, be affected by that. And then a third of light is darkened. And all throughout scripture, usually darkness refers to judgment. Someone's like, can we just talk about like butterflies and lollipops today? That would be way better, right? This is God's judgment, his wrath coming down. And these first four trumpet judgments affect creation, affect the physical world, and affect the sources of life. And maybe you have this reminder, like I think the original audience would. It's like, oh, I remember this sounds like the plagues in Egypt, right? You remember that? Like God goes to Moses and says he says, Hey, my, my people are in they've been in captivity in Egypt for a long, long time. And I want you to go to them and say, Let my people go. And I want you to bring them out and rescue my people. Now, and when you go to Pharaoh, he's not gonna like it. Alright? Hey, hey Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah, no thanks. I'm not gonna let that happen. So God, what he does is he hardens Pharaoh's heart and then he begins to pour out plagues to say, I'm gonna show you what I can do. I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to demonstrate how incredible I am so that the whole world would know. All right? So the plagues were water turned into blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock die, boils, hail, locusts, which are the fifth trumpet that we're going to get to in a second, darkness and the death of the firstborn. All right? So much of what we just read about in these Judgments, hell and fire, the poisoning of waters, darkness for three days. And it begins to affect everyone in Egypt, except for a few of them, actually, never affects Israel. Israel is spared. In fact, in Exodus 11, 6 and 7, before the last plague, which was the death of the firstborn, this is what it says. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Lord is making a distinction between his people and those that aren't his people. That was happening with the plagues, and that's what's happening with these trumpet judgments. These trumpet judgments are the perspective, like we talked about earlier, for unbelievers. This is what unbelievers are going to face in the midst of this. Are believers going to be in this? Yes, but this is how non-believers are going to really be affected, all right? So what was the purpose of those Exodus plagues? Well, there was judgment. He was going to harden Pharaoh's heart going to demonstrate his power and he was going to proclaim his glory. And Exodus nine says it this way. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself. That's Pharaoh he's talking to and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that My name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The point of these plagues is so that God would be proclaimed everywhere. And you couldn't look back and go, well, I think somebody else worked that out. Like, that doesn't work. That's not going to happen. God was the one doing this. God was demonstrating his power. That's what was happening with the plagues. And that's what's happening with these judgments, these trumpet judgments. God is demonstrating his power. And we're seeing that God is the creator And God is the ruler, and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants, whether we like it or not. And in this judgment, as he ushers in his kingdom, right before his kingdom is fully known, he's going to extensive and painful lengths to demonstrate that judgment and power for his glory. Extensive and painful lengths. And believers are going to experience it but not to the extent that nonbelievers are going to experience it because it's going to be beyond horrific for them so then verse 13 then i looked and i heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth those are unbelievers at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow so he sees this eagle maybe it's a angelic being coming over and throughout revelation and in other parts of scripture when a, a bird comes over and announces something it means judgment's coming more judgment's coming and these woes three woes equal judgment all right judgment 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 is coming and it's about to get worse you thought a third of the earth being burned up and a third of the water being affected was bad it's about to get worse he's saying so <clears throat> what is going to happen here verses 1 through 11 in chapter 9 and the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and a, I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have, as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. This is just the fifth one, guys. There's two more coming. And you look at this, man, this is hard. So the star falls from heaven. And the star most likely is either a fallen angel, a Satan, or demonic force. Because other times in Scripture in Luke, when it talks about Satan, he fell from heaven, all right? He wanted what God had, and he couldn't have it, so he fell from heaven. He's a fallen angel, all right? So in this, this is most likely this fallen angel, and he's representing sinful people, but he's having to undergo the same judgment that they're going to go through. And so this fallen angel is given the keys to a bottomless pit to the abyss. Now, he's given keys because what you need to know is he has no authority, Somebody had to give him authority, and that was Christ. That God's sovereign over this. Sovereign over, even when Satan is at work, God is still sovereign over it, allowing it to happen. He could stop it at any moment. But he's allowing it to happen here. And then it says in verse 11, kind of going back to that, they have a king over them, as angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means um, destruction. And in Greek, Apollyon, which means destroyer. So this is the one, like, again, Satan, a fallen angel, demonic presence is overseeing this. They're given keys to the bottomless pit. They can't do anything without those keys, but they open this abyss, and out comes this smoke and all this stuff and these crazy locusts, right? Not just a normal locust, but horrific locusts come out of this thing. And these demonic-like be- beings are sent to torment people for 5 months. They've been given power but they don't kill anybody. But people want to die is so bad. Please kill me, please kill me, please. And God's like, "Nope, not yet." Why wouldn't God just let them die? Cuz he knows there's a far worse death coming than just their death on this physical earth. It's bad. It's bad. And so he begins to describe what these locusts look like. And I feel like John's even having trouble. Like, he sees this vision. And he's having trouble, like, describing, like, what are these things? This is crazy, right? And he starts using, like, all these similes. So go back to, like, middle school grammar, right? Like, something like something. He's not saying this is what the locust is, but it's like this. Like, life is like a box of chocolates. That doesn't mean it's actually a chocolate, right? But you never know what you're going to get, right? So it's like this, okay? They're not, this is not what the locusts are, but they're like this. And he starts seeing this picture, and it's crazy. It's like the twilight zone. Stranger things happening right here. Like, what is going on? But again, these demonic forces are let go under the authority of God to ravage unbelievers. Then verse 12. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Right? Right? The number of mounted troops is twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. So we've moved from locusts. Now we're, these angels have come out and there's like mounted troops on these horses. And this is what they look like. They wore bre- breastplates the color of fire, of sapphire, of sulfur in the head of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails for their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound so both the fifth and sixth judgment begin to affect mankind and mankind begins to die because of And these four angels are released, again, four angels that have been restrained by God except for until this exact hour and this exact moment in history, and God allows them. They've been restrained, and he allows them to go out. Aren't you glad we didn't have trumpets on the worship team today? (laughs) (laughs) That would be hard. So this voice comes from the altar and he says, release them. Maybe that's Christ's voice. Maybe that's an angel's voice. But these are probably wicked angels that have been restrained at this point. And they said they're coming from the river of Euphrates throughout the Old Testament. When the enemies came from the north of the river of Euphrates, what happens is that meant destruction was coming. So destruction was coming from this direction. And 10,000 in scripture just usually represented just a number innumerable like you couldn't even count it right but here if you literally multiplied them together we're talking about 200 million of these troops coming together and it says the power is coming from their mouths what he's talking about the power that's coming is this deception you see that genesis 3 the serpent deceives right with his words and The New Testament, Jesus, when he's talking about the Pharisees, he talks about them being serpents and vipers, like deception coming out of their mouths. We're not talking about modern warfare here, all right? We're talking about people being deceived by demonic forces, and it's leading to a spiritual and physical death. It's terrible and it's ferocious. People are being deceived, and they're going to want to die. And then verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or the sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So the rest of those that were not sealed, the ones not marked by the gospel, Remember these these trumpet judgments, we see what's happening to non-believers. There's not, not marked with the gospel. For the rest of them that weren't killed, like, wouldn't this be a great time to go, oh, I should turn to God, right? That seems like a great idea after what he's just done. What do they do? They remain complacent. They don't repent and they stay stuck worshiping things that they could see. They worship the created rather than the Creator. They worship the pleasures of this world more than the one who gives those pleasures. No repentance. After all this devastation, like people are gonna see that and like, mm, you know what? I know that was harsh, but surely that won't happen to me. I'm just gonna keep worshiping the things that I can see, the tangible things that I can feel and touch. That sounds like a much better option. Like looking back, I think all of us would go, that's a terrible option. Don't go that way. Do you see what God just did? But they don't repent. Because I think there's demonic forces behind our idols. Now, don't think I'm all weird here. Like, we, we do a good job here of saying, like, oh, our idols aren't just, like, Netflix. But there's something deeper that we're idolizing, and it's comfort, right? It's control, maybe. And we look at that. But even deeper than that, there's something demonic going on underneath our idols. That are far worse that where demons just numb us to the feeling of like, man, like I'm gonna I don't really care. This is not that big of a deal. And they refuse to repent even though judgment is coming and the seventh trumpet is still to come and we won't get there this week. So we have to stop here and talk about the wrath of God for a second. Because I think a lot of questions may be stirring in a lot of people's minds this morning. The wrath of God is the extensive and painful links that he's going to usher in his kingdom. He's going to go about these extensive, painful links to usher in his kingdom. So is this wrathful judgment bad? No, it's awful. It's like worse than your worst nightmare. So then that begs the question, like so, what is it? Well, I'll tell you what it's not first. It's not like God's heavenly temper. All right, There's just outbursts, uncontrollable anger. He gets mad at people, so he just has this outburst of anger. That's not God's character. He's under control. He's sovereign. He's calculated in the things that he's doing. Okay, which then begs the question: Well, if God's going to be full of wrath, is He really full of love? How can God be both full of love and this loving, compassionate God and be full of wrath? Sam Storms, who's an author, theologian, pastor in Oklahoma, he says this. It is because God passionately loves purity and peace and perfection that he reacts angrily toward anything or anyone who defiles them. I'll read it again. It is because God passionately loves purity and peace and perfection that he reacts angrily toward anything or anyone who defiles them. God's the most loving thing that a holy God can do is punish sin and unrighteousness. He can't just let it seemingly run rampant forever. Like it has to be punished. A loving God will punish sin. And if sin did not require consequences, then forgiveness is unnecessary and sins can just be overlooked. And if sins are overlooked by a holy, righteous God, His holiness, His set-apartness means nothing and He's not God because He's holy. Because he's set apart, because he's different, because he is righteous, because he is perfect, because he is loving, he has to pour out his wrath. But there's something interesting that happens in chapters eight and nine here. A third of the land and the water and light are affected. Does that mean all the land and water and light are affected? No. No. Two-thirds aren't affected. Go back to verse 4 of chapter 9. They were told, these are the locusts, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Like, God is restraining his judgment here. And you know what God's restrained judgment is? It's his mercy. God is still showing his mercy so much here. Guys, God's wrath and judgment are terrifying apart from the mercy of God. Terrifying apart from the mercy of God. But guys, what I want you to know is that every single one of us in this room were enemies to God dead in our trespasses and deserved every bit of wrath that the unbelievers got. Every single one of us were God's enemies But God, in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then in Romans, it says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's good news because every single one of us deserved the wrath that was being poured out on the rest of creation. Guys, if that doesn't stir you to go, man, why would I not continue in the mission of God? Like he spared me. Did he punish your sins? Yes, and how did he do it? He poured out his wrath on his perfect, righteous, holy son, Jesus on the cross. Because that's good news. We all deserve the wrath of God. But because he is mercy, merciful, he withheld that wrath from us and poured it on his own son. That's a loving, righteous, wrathful God. So how do you remain faithful when it seems like the other team's winning? You think about God's judgmental wrath that's coming to them. Now, if you're that original audience, that's encouraging. Oh man, the saints were praying for vengeance to come and I see that it's gonna happen. That's good news. Now, before you all just go, yeah, stick it to them, God. Like, show them who's boss. Like, you go, oh, I deserve to be in that same place too. So you don't just think about God's wrath. Let God's wrath remind you of God's mercy. Let God's wrath remind you of God's mercy. Guys, we're not driven by wrath. Are we pretending it's not real? No, it's real. But we're driven by the mercy of God. We don't wake up in the morning going, God, thank you that there's new wrath coming today, right? Like nobody does that. I hope you don't do that. That's a terrible way to wake up, right? But what does lamentation say to wake up? What's new every morning? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They, his mercies are new every morning great is your faithfulness. You don't wake up saying, God, thanks for the wrath that's coming every day. But God, thank you for your mercy this new today, because I deserve the same wrath, if not for Jesus. So you, you think about the wrath of God, but then you let that quickly remind you of the mercy of God. And then those moments where you feel like you're running out of gas when it comes to being faithful to the mission of God and you want to quit and you want to compromise, let God's mercy fuel that faithfulness. Say it this way. Let God's wrath remind you of God's mercy to fuel your faithfulness to God's mission. Let God's wrath remind you of God's mercy to fuel your faithfulness to God's mission. Guys, Thankfulness for God's mercy fuels faithfulness to God's mission. Judgment's coming. Wrath is coming. And it's coming for those that are complacent with their idols. It's coming to the enemies of God. So we need to be careful to repent to God. We need to be grateful for the mercy of God. And we need to be faithful to the mission of God. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So knowing the mercies of God this is the way that we should live to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect so how does the mercy of God affect you you live your life in spiritual worship to God I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to keep proclaiming you. So when the enemy seems like it's winning, no, no, I'm going to be reminded of the wrath of God. And let that remind me of the mercy, God, to fuel my faithfulness to God. Guys, if we can live this out, what kind of church could we become? I would say not what kind of church would we become, but I want us to be a church that simply is a humble church that never ever gets overwhelmed when it seems like the enemy's winning. Because we know what's to come. We know who our God is. We're never going to be the church that's this over the top yelling at everybody and screaming at everybody about God's wrath. Because we're reminded that we deserved every bit of that. We're a group of people motivated by the mercy of God. And we're simply faithful. Don't do anything crazy. We're just faithful people, humble people who recognize that we deserved it if not for Christ. Guys, that's the kind of church we want to be at. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thanks for the hard reminders of your wrath and judgment but God, thank you that you care about us. God, thank you that we get to be on your team. And God, there are people in this room that are going through really hard circumstances. I pray that they would be reminded of your mercy today. Lord, remind us all that we deserve your wrath. God, thank you for Jesus that took it. Thank you. Please motivate us by the gospel in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.